Good morning! Welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. We invite you to open your hearts to worship with us today. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. My name is Brooke and I'm with the Connections team. I would just like to let you know that if you need any prayer or you need any assistance, you can fill out our Connect card. And if you've been with us for a real long time or if you've been with us for the first time ever, we would love to connect with you and get to know more about you and your story. You can find the link to that in both the YouTube or the Facebook description wherever you're watching this video. Have a lovely Sunday, everybody. Hi, Love Chapel Hill. This is Alex. I hope everyone is doing well. You are sorely missed by me, and uh, I can't wait till we get to see each other in person, whether that's socially distanced or um, however the Lord sees fit. But I truly miss you, and uh, I'm excited to tell you that regardless of the fact that we are not together right now uh, in person, we have found some really innovative ways to stay connected with one another, and I'm going to share with you some of those ways. So one way is, as you may know, through our church service on Sunday, that is a virtual service that gets placed on YouTube each Sunday and that we as a congregation watch at large together. And um, that's a really wonderful way to just to stay connected as a church body. We also have our small groups as well as discipleship bands and uh, our Bible study uh, on Tuesday nights with Matt. So it's called The Story. So those are really great ways to stay connected as a congregation, but there are also ways to stay connected uh, in very, very uh, personal ways. So if you just need someone to talk to, if you need help, in any way um, and love Chapel Hill can know about it, we would love to help you. Uh, if you need a mask, we will provide you with a mask as well. So feel free to reach out. If you if those three things are something that you need, please go ahead and uh, reach, out, reach out to us at miracles at lovechapelhill.com. And, um, but some other great ways and fun ways, uh, we have a coffee break now on Fridays with Valerie, which is a really just fun way around 10 to 11 to just come together and uh, just have a little break room chat with people. You can stay for however, however long you can uh, fit into your day, but you have an opportunity to um, gather together as saints uh, for a little coffee break. Um, we also have Quest Kids and we have Worship. Uh, our amazing worship leaders have placed their music up on Spotify, so you can go and listen to their worship, which is another way to stay connected. So these are all really beautiful ways to, to as well as our prayer. We have prayer as well, corporate prayer as well. So that's Wednesday morning. So figure out ways to stay connected. We, the, the website is giving you really beautiful ways, but you can also call people. You can pray for people. That's such a powerful way to stay connected as saints spiritually. So find ways to stay connected while apart but know that you are loved um and you have ways to know that you're not alone so bless you stay connected and uh till next time one two three God of the miracle, let your will be done.
Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Hey, Love Chapel Hill. Today is our 11th anniversary as a church, so happy birthday. Uh, We have just come through our 10th year as a church family together. Uh, It's a year unlike anything that we expected or envisioned, Um, but we felt a year ago that the Holy Spirit was provoking us and pushing us and challenging us to set aside our 10th year as a church uh, as a year of prayer. And not that we were praying directly for one or two things, but more than that, um, just giving him that year, our milestone year, this significant year, um, and setting that aside as a year of prayer. We've desperately needed that over the last six or seven months together. Uh, So we're grateful for his wisdom and his vision to see what we never could have been able to see. Uh, And we're grateful for you to for us to be able to walk together in that as a church family over this past year. Uh, Now that we are coming into that this next year together um, and coming out of that year of prayer, uh, the next thing that we feel like the Lord is pushing us into and guiding us into uh, is to gather together um, a core team of people uh, to get together and to pray through what we see the future being for Love Chapel Hill. Um, And for some of you, even as we're saying that, there's this sense of excitement um, or this sense of weight that uh, you want to be a part of that. Uh, And we would invite you, anybody from our church family who wants to be a part of that, to pray with us together intentionally on what the future looks like for us as we move into this next decade uh, together as a church. So we want to come together. We want to ask the question, uh, as we've been praying over this last year, what have we sensed the Lord speaking to us? Um, What direction do we sense him giving to us as a congregation? Um, All of us are walking in step with the Spirit, are filled with the Holy Spirit, are rooted in the Scripture. We can hear his voice. We can sense his leading. And so we want to hear that from the entire church family. Uh, How is he leading us forward? So if you want to be a part of that, uh, then we invite you to uh, go to the connect card that's in the description in the video today. Um, It's either in in the YouTube video or on on the Facebook page uh, or it's on uh, on our website as well. Uh, There's a connect card there. Fill that out. And then there's a line in there. Um, where you can tell your story or you can add something. And so we invite you just to go to that uh, space on the Connect card and let us know that you want to be a part of the core team uh, who's dreaming together and praying together about the next 10 years. So uh, join us in that. And uh, we're going to walk faithfully together and can't wait to see uh, where he's going to lead us. So today we are going to keep moving in this series that we've been in together, Kingdom Tide where we're looking at the Old Testament prophets and the way the Old Testament prophets pointed ahead to the reality of Jesus and the way that their words still challenge us today where we are in this moment. And today we're looking at one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It's the book of Daniel. 
and this prophet of Daniel. Um, this story over the last five to six years has been a, a, a really deeply shaping story for me personally uh, and for many others of us in the church family um, on what it looks like for us to live out the culture of the kingdom uh, in the face of the empire. And so we're going to look at Daniel the prophet and see what he has to say to us in that reality and how the Holy Spirit's going to challenge us today through his life, through his words, um, and through the way that he lived out that culture of the kingdom. Let's pray together as we get ready to dive in. Holy Spirit, we need you to speak really clearly today. So we're asking that you would guide us, that you would lead the steps that we're taking together, that you would um, guide every word, that you would guard every word, and that your word would be heard clearly, cut through everything else, and let your word be heard so clearly today. And then help us to be able to live in response to that and to answer the challenge that you're giving to us. To your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so the book of Daniel begins with tragedy. It begins with this deep, deep tragedy. The other prophets that we have looked at so far uh, are speaking to the people of Israel within the context of Israel. Uh, but Daniel is different because Daniel is a prophet who speaks to the people in the thick of exile. It's not just looking ahead to exile that is coming um, or, or to, to uh, the, the nation being overthrown and, and seeing that coming and speaking that in advance. But this is something that Daniel actually experiences along with the people. And so that's the context and that's where his voice is coming from. In the first chapter of Daniel, uh, we're told that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king over the mighty empire of Babylon, the strongest empire on the face of the earth at that time, uh, attacks Jerusalem, overthrows Jerusalem, um, goes in and, and steals things from the temple uh, and takes them uh, for his own. Uh, and not just a, a, a military attack against the city, and not just this kind of spiritual and religious attack against the temple by taking things out of the temple, uh, but also a very uh, targeted and designed cultural attack against God's people uh, by taking people into captivity and back to Babylon. They don't just overthrow the city. They steal the future of the city and take it with them back to Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar intentionally goes after uh, these young leaders who are a part of the nobility and a part of the royal family line because they represent the future of God's people. And he steals them away. These people that are being raised up as the future, he steals them away and takes them to Babylon into captivity. And he begins to teach and train them to be the future leaders of Babylon. So he doesn't just crush 
um, the present for Israel. Uh, there's an attack on their past in that and also this direct attack on their future, stealing their future away and instead making it the future of Babylon. It's, it's a gut-wrenching story. Uh, Daniel is among many of these young people. Probably Daniel was a teenager uh, in the part of the story that we get in chapter 1. And uh, it tells us there that in the midst of all of that devastation, in the midst of all of that tragedy, that Daniel resolves in his heart that he is going to stay faithful to Yahweh, the King of Israel, the God of Israel. And so even though everything in his life has been disrupted, everything has been devastated, um, he remains faithful. And it says that he resolves, he resolves to remain faithful. Uh, there's this setting, not just of making up your mind, uh, but in the Hebrew language, the word mind is a very layered term. Uh, it can also mean heart. It can also mean soul. And it's this sense of the very essence of who you are. It's the seat of your affections and your allegiance um, and that essence of who you are. And so Daniel resolves in everything that he is, heart, mind, soul, and strength to remain faithful to God. We get this moment where he enters into fasting and praying. Um, that sets that resolve for him. His appetite, his allegiance, his affections are directed in one place, and it's to Yahweh. And he trusts in God, even in the midst of all of this devastation and destruction. That sets a pattern for Daniel's life that plays out through the rest of his life in this most devastating moment that he could have ever imagined. Um, he resolves and it sets that pattern for the rest of his life. By the time we get to what is probably the most famous story in the book of Daniel, it's in Daniel chapter six. And uh, you might remember this from when you were a kid and hearing the stories about Daniel and the lion's den, or maybe you've heard that uh, in, in our culture. By the time you get to that story in chapter six, Daniel has gone from being a teenager probably in chapter one to where in chapter six, he's probably 80 years old. And throughout his life, we see that that resolve is still there. That rootedness in his trust in Yahweh is still there. Heart, mind, soul, and strength, all directed affections, uh, appetite, allegiance directed in one place to Yahweh, the one true king. So that's where we're gonna to be today is in Daniel chapter six. So by the time we get to chapter six, um, it's not only that a lot of time has passed, but actually the Babylonian empire has passed by this point as well. Um, after Nebuchadnezzar dies, uh, one of his descendants takes over and that descendant is overthrown uh, by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And so the king of the Medes and the Persians, his name is Darius. Um, and Darius recognizes in Daniel um, this sense of deep wisdom, incredible talent, but there's something else about Daniel's integrity uh, that Darius is drawn to. He can see that he is completely different. He's distinguished himself um, as this faithful person and he wants Daniel in his court to be one of his closest advisors. The other people around Daniel in Darius's court uh, become very jealous of Daniel. And so they come up with this plan as a way to undercut him. They begin looking into his background to try and 
try and find something to discredit him. They can't. Um, and so they create this plan to discredit him and, and, and to undercut him and to take him out. They know that there's one place where they can attack Daniel. And that's at this point of his faith that he will refuse to break at this point of his faith. So they convince King Darius to come up with a new law that says that over the next extended period of time, uh, that if anyone prays to any God or anything else besides King Darius, then that person is to be thrown into a lion's den and, and to be executed for this act of treason uh, against this allegiance to King Darius. Darius, being a king and a ruler, uh, has this ego and this sense of pride. And as they play to that pride, uh, he goes along with that. And he sets this law without knowing that he has just sealed the fate for one of his closest advisors and someone uh, that he admires and someone that he trusts deeply in Daniel. So here's what happens. Uh, right after the king makes the decree, we're in chapter six and we're in verse 10. Here's what it says. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I find that to be such an interesting statement because it makes this statement about this pattern that had already been established in Daniel's life over these decades of his life. And when he found himself in this moment of crisis, it says he did just as he had done before. He went to his room and he opened up the window. He set his eyes towards Jerusalem and he prayed. For Daniel, prayer was not a last resort. It was his first response. It was his natural first response because there was this pattern that had been established in his life, not a last resort, but a first response and a first priority of his life. We've been talking over the whole last year about prayer. And just because we've come out of this year that we've set aside for prayer, it doesn't mean we set prayer aside. It means that now we have set in ourselves this pattern and we have established this priority and we have to keep coming back to that over and over again. And we rooted ourselves in that priority. And we trust that the Lord's going to continue to speak to us in that. Continue to take us into deeper and wider places in that. Um, and so we're going to keep coming back to that. It is now a pattern that we have set. And we're going to live out of that pattern for the decades to come as a church. Just as he had done before. We've said over and over again that awakening prayer is the irreducible infrastructure of renewal and revival. And we believe that. And we want to continue to live into that. In Daniel's life, he didn't pray because there was nothing else to do. He prayed because that's what he had always done. That resolve that he set as a teenager and that pattern that he set uh, created this pattern in him that he continued to live out of. 
And so this moment of courage that we point to in Daniel's life here, this this moment of facing down the lion's den, uh, it's not that he prayed because he was courageous. He was courageous because he had prayed. This was a pattern, and so he's living out of that. Christian courage is not an outer quality. It's simply the inner life breaking out into the open. It's allowing people to see what has always been within us and what that core of our strength is within us. Christian courage is not something that is honed in public, on a stage, or in a big moment. It is slowly cultivated in the garden of the soul. It's pushed and drawn to the surface by the Holy Spirit in the moments when we need it the most. Daniel had already set this pattern in his life, and now in this moment when he needed it, he was living out of that pattern and that priority that was already established. I find it really interesting, too, that um, Daniel, by this point, is basically second in command in the empire. Uh, He has this this high level of respect and access to the king. He has the ear of the king. But in this moment of deepest need, he doesn't look to the king for his help. He doesn't look to the empire or the palace for his help and his protection. Where does he look? He looks towards Jerusalem. In other words, he had his eyes set on the kingdom. I also find it interesting that by this time in Israel's history, uh, the city, of course, had been uh, attacked and destroyed and the temple destroyed. And so there's really nothing even for him to look towards anymore. And yet he still looked because he had the ability to see and, and the ability to have this vision that, uh, that others couldn't see. He could see things. He could see through the reality to the deeper reality of the kingdom. And that's what he did. He was seeing a counter story. And he was living in this moment by a completely different script. And here's what ends up happening as a result. As the story goes on, it tells us this in verse 11. Then these men who are already conspiring against Daniel went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. 
Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel's life becomes a counter story. He is pointing to a completely different vision of a completely different kingdom than what anyone else around him was able to see. There was one king that he was faithful to and he refused to bow to any other king but the one, but Yahweh himself. And Daniel's life becomes a story of counterculture. It becomes the story of bearing witness and speaking the truth and living the truth, even as the whole power of the empire is coming against him. We've talked before um, about how Christians stand and how we bear witness in the culture that we find ourselves in and in this moment that we find ourselves in. Um, in our attempt to navigate the culture, I think we uh, end up taking and standing in usually in one of four places. And so the first stand that we take um, tends to be anti-cultural. And so our voice is one of attack. And we point out all the things in the culture around us that we are against. And we become known way, way more about what we're against instead of what we're for, uh, what we hate instead of who we love. Uh, and so we end up in this place of anti-culture and we use our voice as one of attack. And we call that holiness. And somehow it doesn't look anything like the embodiment of holiness. Jesus himself. Uh, the second place that we tend to stand is a place of subculture. And in this, we use our voice to retreat. Uh, and we call for a retreat out of the culture and into our own kind of little bubble uh, to live as Christians. And we create our own small little Christian culture. We even borrow uh, versions from the culture around us. Um, and we become a sad shadow of the culture that we are speaking out against. Um, and in that we call for retreat. The third place that we tend to stand uh, is taking a stance of co-culture. And in that we use our voice to surrender. Um, we're afraid of what other people are gonna think of us when we believe differently uh, and when we live differently. And out of that fear and desire to be embraced, we end up baptizing uh, every single idea around us that seems to be the dominant idea. Uh, and so we use our voice to surrender. I don't think that any of those three places to stand is where we see Daniel standing. And I certainly don't think any of those three places is where we see Jesus standing as he carves out the way for us and invites us to follow him 
in the way of Jesus. I think Jesus takes a stance in the fourth place. And I think we see Daniel living this out here as well. And that is a stance of counterculture. And in that moment, we don't use our voice to attack or to retreat or to surrender, but instead we use our voice to witness. And we bear witness to a different kind of kingdom. And we become an influence within the culture. We don't retreat away from it. We engage with it. And we tell the true and better story of Jesus. That counter story of the kingdom of God. Daniel lives this out. The world desperately needs for us to live this out right now. To become a living counter story pointing people to the kingdom even in the face of the empire the creative power of courage that's at play here in this story is that the king Darius when he sees what happens he believes in the power of Yahweh and he makes this public confession that Yahweh must be the one true God because of what he sees in Daniel's life. And it ends up impacting the entire culture around him uh, as that story ripples throughout the culture. People see it, it's compelling, and people are convinced by it. So that stance of counterculture and of bearing witness sends out this ripple effect of transformation as Daniel continues to point to this counter vision of a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of story. Daniel's life, most importantly, is also in this moment pointing ahead to the person of Jesus. He's pointing ahead to the reality of Jesus, and that's what prophets do. Uh, Prophets don't bow to the power of the empire, uh, but they don't only speak against the empire either. They always point to the kingdom. They're pointing beyond the empire to the kingdom. That's what the prophets always do when they're moving in step with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Daniel does here. Uh, Look again at verse 17. I find it so interesting the things that are said here in this verse about Daniel going into the lion's den and being brought up out of the lion's den. We see that he is uh, lowered down into this pit of death and that a stone is moved over the mouth of the entrance and that pit is sealed. There's a signet ring of the empire saying that no one can move this stone so that his situation might not be changed. And at the first break of dawn, the stone is rolled away and out of that pit of death, life rises up out of it. Do you see those echoes and those connections? The pointing ahead, not just speaking against the empire, but speaking of the kingdom and pointing to the reality of the kingdom. And here in the story of Daniel, we see the echoes and the glimpses of the resurrection of Jesus that is to come. It's so powerful. This is the most disruptive event in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus. And in this moment, we see Daniel pointing ahead to it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Daniel doesn't only point ahead to Jesus in that way, but there's one other significant way in which the life of, Jesus, of Daniel points ahead to the reality of Jesus. Uh, in chapter 7, 
there's a change that takes place in the book. The first six chapters are more of a narrative kind of approach to the story. Uh, and then from chapter 7 through uh, chapter 12, so the second half of the book, we see a change in, in, in the way that this book is laid out. And so those, the rest of these chapters, 7 through 12, uh, record visions and prayers and prophecies uh, that Daniel has. Um, and, and, and so there's the, these dreams that he has, there are these visions that he has, and these interpretations that are given uh, powerfully. It's spoken here in chapter 7. Uh, in verse 13, he has this vision, um, and it's pointing so clearly ahead to Jesus. Listen to what he says. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. I'm going to stop right there and talk about the way that Jesus speaks of himself. Um, so many people refer to Jesus in different ways throughout the Gospels. Um, Jesus is referred to as the son of God, uh, which is absolutely true. Uh, Jesus is referred to as the son of David, which points to his kingship uh, and him being in that royal line of David and the fulfillment of God's promise and covenant to David. So that's so significant. Um, but Jesus most often refers to himself, not as son of God or as son of David, but as the son of man. And a lot of people, when they hear that, they think, oh, Jesus is referring to uh, the fact that he is fully human and fully divine. And so he's called son of God to represent the fact that he's fully divine. He's called son of man to represent the fact that he's fully human. But that's not what Jesus is getting at mostly when he uses that term son of man. It's meant to tra trigger the scriptural and biblical imagination and memory of the people who were rooted in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And when he says son of man, for the people who are rooted in that, they're gonna think of Daniel. Their mind's gonna go back to Daniel. And here's what Daniel says about the son of man, this vision that he has about this person called the son of man. I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That is the reality of who Jesus is. He is the fulfillment of this vision that Daniel has. We get the glimpses of it in the lion's den and the echoes of what's to come of this rising up from death out of this pit of death and this life that brings rescue to us. But so powerfully in this chapter, he points ahead, this son of man, this king whose kingdom will never be destroyed. I want to challenge you today. What kingdom are you placing your hope in? What kingdom are you placing your hope in? Where are you looking? Daniel didn't look to the palace. Daniel didn't look to the empire. Daniel had influence there, but he wasn't looking for those structures to rescue him and to save him. It says he opened up his window and he looked towards Jerusalem. In other words, he was looking 
through the present reality and to the deeper reality of the kingdom. And he was looking ahead to the king whose kingdom will never be destroyed. Who are you looking to? Where is your hope? I want to challenge you as followers of Jesus. Your hope is only in one place and it's in him. Do not look to the empire for your hope. Look to the kingdom and embody the kingdom as he uses us to be a countercultural story bearing witness to the king and his kingdom that will never be destroyed.
friends. Uh, we are so thankful that you chose to spend your time with us today and we want you to know that we love you very much. My name is Joel and I have the honor and privilege of bringing these last words for our 11th anniversary service. Even though I haven't been here for all of the 11 years, I have heard and experienced so many of the amazing life-changing stories of people experiencing the love of Jesus in this church community. And uh, even though now we are experiencing church in the most incredible, unique way than we've ever had before, we have and we will remain to be His church and be an extension of His hand in this community. I want to close today with a special prayer, uh, read a special prayer for uh, all of us as we go into our 11th year. Almighty and ever-living God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, hear our prayers for this church family. Strengthen the faithful, arouse the careless, and restore the brokenhearted. Grant us all things necessary for our common life and bring us all to be one heart and mind within the Holy Church. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You are now sent to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm.